Welcome to the Search for Truth podcast, where we take a look at the Word of God and its authentic application to our lives. I'm Pastor Young, and in our daily Bible studies, we will ask the question, what is truth? Where do I fit in the story? And what is God saying to the church? So grab a Bible and enjoy. Word up! Pastor Young here with our daily Bible study. Uh, Today, uh, we're going to take a look at how Saul responds to his anointing. Uh, When it is his moment, whenever God has chosen him, whenever the Lord has approved him, whenever the Lord has made provision, and it is now time for Saul to be used what does he do? Uh, we all have a moment. Uh, we, we all have a time where the Lord finally brings us to the forefront. Now, I want to make sure that we don't get it confused as to what to be used looks like. Okay? For many of us, uh, I know for me growing up, I thought that uh, success for my ministry. I thought that, you know, what, what, uh, being used looks like would be to preach a camp meeting, to preach a youth camp, uh, you know, to, to have platform time, to have time with the microphone. That's what a lot of people think of, at least at the beginning of their journey, uh, as, as what success is in their ministry. However, uh, the more I grow, the more I realize that success for my ministry has not been at the microphone. It's been at the kitchen table whenever we've had people filled with the Holy Ghost sitting across from me in their dining room. That has been far greater in my ministry than any conference that I've preached, than any time that I've held a microphone in my hand. But there is a moment for all of us that the Lord is, uh, is, is going to put us in the place where we can be truly used. Like I said, that might not be in front of a crowd. It might be at a gas station. It might be at a Walmart. It might be, uh, you know, in, in just a, a phone call. But for all of us, there is a moment in which our anointing becomes more than just something that is dormant from our prayer life. And it, it comes out of the cellars, you know. What I'm referring to, uh, if you remember a couple days ago, I took you through First Chronicles where David is, is finally retiring from warfare. And I'm not talking about the time whenever he sleeps with Bathsheba. I'm talking about after all of that and David has become an old man and he's, he's, setting, he's setting the kingdom up, getting it ready for a new temple to be built through the hands of Solomon, his son. And uh, David begins to place people in their positions. He begins to take these people that previously they only knew war. They only knew how to use a sword. But David is now putting them in jobs, putting them in positions. You know, the keeper of the door, the keeper of the 
uh, of the gates, the keeper, uh, you know, and, and one of the, one of the places that, that, uh, stood out to me one time, and this is not what we're talking about today, but one of the things that stood out to me one time was, uh, this fellow that, that David made the keeper of the cellars. And, you know, whenever you're getting your job, I don't know that that is necessarily the most coveted position, you know? Uh, the cellar's dark, and the cellar is musty, and the cellar is, you know, I mean, it's it's underground. There's, I'm not working. I'm not working in front of everybody, and and I've I've, I've got stuff to do, but it's all behind the scenes. And maybe I'm not one of the more important jobs, and maybe you know, maybe maybe I'm I'm just I'm low on the totem pole. But whenever you look into that, you you find that the anointing oil was kept there in the cellar. That anointing would dwell in the cellar for a long time, and it was up to the keeper of the cellar to make sure that that anointing never became contaminated, that it didn't get dirt in it, that it didn't get dust in it, because one day that anointing is going to move out of the cellar and it's going to move into the temple. One day that same oil that has been kept in the dark and it's been kept in, uh, in obscurity, that same anointing oil that has been kept away from the crowds and away from, uh, from the eyes of people, that same anointing that has been locked away and buried underground for so long, one day, whenever it is time to be used, that anointing is going to be removed from the cellar, removed from that darkness, removed from that place of obscurity, and it's going to make its way into the temple. And it's going to find itself, uh, you know, anointing, uh, the priest, and it's going to find itself uh, being used in the candlesticks, and it's going to find itself being used all over the place, whereas for so long it was buried underground. It was kept in a cellar. And so, likewise, Saul has been in obscurity all this time. Uh, we'll find that David, whenever Samuel comes to anoint David, David was the son that was forgotten. He was the guy that was that was left out whenever everybody else was called before the prophet. He was the guy that, that was just showing himself faithful, keeping his father's sheep whenever, you know, no one, he, he didn't have it all going for him. He didn't, he wasn't the tallest like Saul. David, uh, you know, he, he wasn't the most muscular like Eliab. David didn't have, uh, didn't have the, all the right connections David didn't even have the best of reputations because uh, if, if you study, you'll find that David had rumors surrounding him concerning how his mother even conceived him. David was a man of low reputation. He was the stone that the builders rejected. David was the guy that was, that was buried in obscurity for all this time and forgotten about whenever everybody else uh, seemed to be getting their anointing. When everybody else seemed to be taking their place in the kingdom, it seemed as if David was forgotten. But there is a time whenever you will be called, uh, if you're faithful, there is a time whenever you will be called to the forefront, out of the cellars, out of obscurity, and now it's time to be used. The question then lies in, what do you do when it is that moment to shine? What do you do? And I'm, I'm, I'm speaking scripturally and I'm speaking directly to you. What do you do whenever you have been praying for years? Lord, I just want you to use me. Lord, I just want you to empower me. Lord, I want you, I want to be used in your kingdom. What do you do 
whenever that moment comes, but it doesn't look like what you anticipated it to look like. What do you do whenever God finally says, all right, I'm ready to remove them from obscurity. I'm ready to pull them out, that, that anointing out of the cellar. It's time for it to be used. And, and, but you're not used in the way that you thought you'd be. You know what? What do you do whenever, whenever you, you've been planning all of this time to preach this masterpiece of a message, and then what God ends up commanding you to do is to just prophesy something that doesn't seem to make any sense to a random stranger at a gas station? I'm, I'm reminded of, is it Naaman that was the leper? And he received instructions from the prophet. He said, go and, and dip in this dirty old water, Right? I want you to just dip yourself in this filthy, nasty water. And whenever you, whenever you get done obeying the word of God, then your leprosy is going to be cleansed. And Naaman said, uh, I don't know about that. I don't know if that's God's will. I don't know if that's a true prophet of God or not. Beware whenever you measure prophets. Beware whenever you measure pastors. Beware when you measure evangelists only based on what you thought they'd say. Be careful. Naaman's servant is the one that is able to speak up and say, hey, this is your moment. This is the time you've been waiting for. And the the servant says, if he would have told you to do something big, if he would have told you to do something Uh, something on a grand scale, you would have decided that was definitely God. But because he has asked you to do something simple, why why are you hesitating now that to be used and, and and to work in the anointing God has given you, but it doesn't look like what you expected it to look like? The Lord checked me on that, uh, I don't know, a year or two ago. The Lord, uh, the Lord gave me a word for somebody in public, a stranger that I did not know, and I hesitated, and uh, I kind of, I kind of provide. I was in a grocery store, and I got, I got a little bit of distance from them, you know, just being real, and uh, and I was like, I don't know if that's God or not. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. And next thing you know, the Lord starts rebuking me, uh, you know, next to the grapefruits, and the Lord is saying, Hey. I bet you that if I would have given you a prophetic word for the governor of Kansas, you probably would be looking as to how in the world can you get a hold of the governor. If I'd have given you a a dream, you know, something profound, something amazing for uh, President Trump, you know, prophesying uh, something that is to come for the country, I'm sure that you would be contacting uh, whoever you could, your senator, whoever it was, so that you, you'd be crawling over people to give that prophecy. But because I've given you this simple word for a stranger in a grocery store, that's, that's too little for you. Perhaps this is what the Lord is talking about whenever he's saying, whenever you are faithful over few, now I'll make you ruler over many. It's not just talking about crowds. It's not just talking about people. It, it's, it's, talking about, it's talking about more than that. It's, it's saying what, what you've done in the little things, what you have been able to obey me whenever it was in obscurity, what you were able to accomplish whenever you would not get any credit, what you were able to, uh, what you were able to perform whenever you didn't have an audience, what you did in the cellar, what you did in obscurity, 
that is going to cause you to be ruler over greater things, over many things. Now, Saul, all of this time, he has been kept in the cellar, if you will. He has been kept in obscurity. Uh, and, and I want you to look at First Samuel chapter 9. As we know, Saul begins his journey seeking after a bunch of donkeys. They've, they've gone missing, right? Don't, don't let it surprise you and pay close attention to what I'm about to say. Don't be surprised if whenever it is God's moment to bring you to the forefront, whenever it is God's time to use you, things in your physical life are going to go haywire, okay? The donkeys weren't missing until it was time for Saul to be anointed. The donkeys were, they were fine. You know, they, they, they were great donkeys. All the while that Saul dwelled in obscurity, everything was fine. But the moment that God shows Saul, I've got something for you, what do you know? It just so happens that the donkeys go missing. Beware, beware. I, I want you to see what happens. 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 14. It says, And they went up into the city, and when they were coming to the city, I'm picking up from where I was yesterday, that Saul seeks a seer. Behold, Samuel came out against them for to go up to the high place. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear a day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow about this time I will send thee a man out of the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be captain over my people Israel, that he may save my people out of the hand of the Philistines, for I have looked upon my people because their cry is coming to me. It's, this verse strikes me, and uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying that this is the case, but I just want to propose something to you. I want to pitch something to you. It says that this man is going, to, uh, is going to save my people out of the hand of the Philistines. Could it be that Saul was the one that God initially chose uh, to take out Goliath? That, that is the moment that is the, the landmark moment whenever Israel finally decides for themselves, hey, we're delivered from the Philistines. We, this is a victory that no one can take away from us. This is a victory that we're going to remember for ages to come. And they started singing the praises. Saul has killed his thousands. David's killed his ten thousands. Could it be that God initially wants to use Saul to kill Goliath? But what happens in between now and the moment when uh, Goliath shows himself, Saul is not able to prove himself in the little things. Let's watch. Verse 17. And when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said unto him, Behold, the man whom I speak to thee of, this same shall reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, I pray thee, where the seer's house is. And Samuel answered Saul, and said, I am the seer. Go up before me unto the high place, for ye shall eat with me today and tomorrow, and I will let thee go and will tell you all that is in your heart. And as for your asses that were lost three days ago, as for your donkeys, as for those fleshly distractions that came right at the moment when God's ready to use you, let's talk about those. Samuel says, Set not thy mind on them, for they are found. You want insight from the seer? The seer says, you've got more important things to look for than donkeys. You've got more important things to chase after than physical uh, desires. 
You've got more important uh, things on your to-do list than to find donkeys because you are ready, Saul, to come out of the cellars. The Lord is ready to anoint you. He's ready to use you. Now it's going to be a question of, do you embrace what God is trying to do and uh, do you look for opportunities to be used of God or are you going to continue in the pursuit of your flesh just ticking off what you had to do before God found you? Hmm. I, I want to I show you a pattern in Scripture that as, as people come in contact with God, their to-do list should change. Okay? Their to-do list should be different before and after coming to the Lord. Am I saying that God is going to change everybody's career? No. Am I saying that everybody's got to quit college when they get the Holy Ghost? No. What I am saying is your focus should be shifted if you've taken up your cross. Uh, I'm, I'm reminded, I'm reminded of, of the fishermen as Jesus approaches them and they're mending their nets, right? And he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They did not take their nets with them and say, well, I want to keep my fish as a backup plan. They didn't do that. It's The Bible says, and immediately, straightway, they dropped their nets and followed Jesus. They dropped the donkeys. They dropped their carnal pursuits. They dropped their to-do list that they had before they met Jesus. I'm reminded of the woman at the well, uh, this Samaritan woman that Jesus has this encounter with. And you know, he reveals, he said, I that speak to thee, I am he, I'm the one you've been looking for. And if you were to ask of me, I would give you living water that you would never thirst again. And the woman says, oh, give me of this water, right? And the Bible says that whenever she had this experience with Jesus, the Bible says that she dropped her water pot and ran back to the village and told them, come and see a man that has told me all that I've ever done. This woman, upon her uh, interaction with the Lord, she forgot about her donkeys. She forgot, she left her water pot. She dropped her net. There is a principle here that you cannot take up your cross and continue pursuing the donkeys. I'm reminded of Elijah, Elisha and Elijah. That the, the old prophet Elijah passed by Elisha and throws his mantle of anointing on Elisha. That man, that is the coolest thing in the Bible to me. That is, I just can see that scene, you know. Well, what is Elisha doing when that mantle falls upon him? I'll tell you what he's doing. He's plowing. He's behind, he's behind a, a team of oxen. And, uh, and while, while all of this is happening, uh, he, he, he leaves the oxen behind and, and turns the plow into a burnt altar and offers those oxen as a burnt offering unto God. There's a principle here that whenever you come in contact with the anointing, something changes. Your to-do list changes. Your mission statement changes. Everything, everything that you've cared about before changes. One more, one more. Blind Bartimaeus. He's, he's 
laid out upon the Jericho road and he has his beggar's garment laid out on the road. And this is, that garment was their collecting device for, for money. That, that beggar's garment, it indicated to everyone that he was handicapped and that he had a right to be there because of his handicap, he could not seek gainful employment. And so that beggar's garment was like his handicap pass. Okay. I'm just, uh, in fact, his name bar Timaeus, Timaeus means handicap. And so bar remember from previous study means son of his name literally means son of handicap bar Timaeus. So he's laid out that beggar's garment. And whenever Jesus comes along the way on the Jericho road, Bartimaeus cries out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. We know the story. Everybody tells him, hush, Bartimaeus, stay in your place. I want you, you need to continue doing what you've been doing. You need to keep following donkeys. You need to keep mending your nets. You need to keep plowing with the oxen. You need to keep filling your water pots. You need to keep begging and pulling money into your beggar's garment. But all the while, Bartimaeus understood something that so many of us don't. And that is that that you cannot blend your past and your present. You cannot blend your carnal pursuits and your spiritual anointings. You have to have a time whenever you come to the forefront and you let go of what you've had in order to reach something new. Bartimaeus, the Bible says, whenever Jesus called him, they said, the master wants you. The Bible says that Bartimaeus got up and it says, and he dropped his beggar's garment, leaving behind his beggar's garment. And Bartimaeus rushes to Jesus. Could it be that this is why the Lord teaches and says, you cannot put new wine in an old bottle and you can't sew a new piece of cloth uh, onto an old garment. Could it be, I've, I've always thought, man, that's kind of petty, you know? Uh, I mean, why, why can't you, you know, why, why I've, I've, I've got pants, you know, that, that nanny's patched and I've got things that we've tried to put together and the Lord, you know, that might be all right for a pair of blue jeans, but it's not going to work for your ministry. You're going to have to learn how to leave those donkeys behind Samuel. When it comes time to anoint Saul, he says, as for, as for the donkeys, he said, get your mind off of them. There are more important things for you to focus on now. So let's see what Saul does. Samuel prophesies to Saul uh, as he's communing with him. He says that, that there are gonna be, there's going to be some people that meet with you and they're going to give you uh, some bread and they're gonna, you know, there's going to be all these different signs that occur. I'm trying to hurry. In 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 9, okay, as Saul leaves Samuel, It says, and it was so that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, Saul, God gave him, Saul, another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. He gave him another heart. And so I'm hopeful for Saul. I say, all right, man, you got another heart. Maybe you can accomplish the will of God. And when they came thither to the hill, behold, a company of prophets met him and the spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied among them. And I'm like, all right, you know, Saul, you go, Saul, I'm rooting for you, bud. And it came to pass when all that knew him before time said that, behold, he prophesied among the prophets. Then the people said to one another, what is this that is come upon, coming to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? In one of the same place, another answered, but who is their father? Therefore, it became a proverb, is Saul also among the prophets? And when he had made 
And end of prophesying, he came to the high place. Man, this is a spiritual moment. This is the time whenever God is putting this anointing upon Saul. If you're going to be king, you got to learn how to prophesy. If you're going to be a king, you got to learn how to encourage yourself in the Lord. If you're going to be a king, you got to learn how to get the inside of the spirit realm. And so Saul, I'm giving you a new heart today. I'm going to put the spirit of prophecy on you. And we're just like, man, yeah, get it, Saul. Verse 14. Verse 14, and Saul's uncle said unto him and to his servant, hey, where did you go? And he said, I went to seek the asses. Hold on now. You got your mind back on donkeys. Whenever Saul's uncle says, where did you go? I would think that Saul's response would say, man, I've been prophesying. I've been in the presence of God. The Lord has changed my life today. God gave me a new heart. We had a great service. The prophet touched me and I, I, man, I've never been the same. And that's what I, that's what I would think Saul would say whenever his uncle said, Hey, what's that? What's, what's going on today? How's your day been? Oh, it's cool. I've chased donkeys. Wait a second. So I'm, I'm looking and I'm like, okay, well maybe he mentions it later. And when we saw that they were nowhere, we came to Samuel. And I'm getting hopeful. All right. Maybe he's going to talk. And Samuel's uncle said, tell me, I pray you what Samuel said unto you. And Saul said unto his uncle, he told us plainly that the the asses were found. And look at the second half of verse 16. But of the matter of the kingdom whereof Samuel spake, Saul told him not. Okay. All right. Now maybe I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. But immediately after this, Samuel calls the people together. And Samuel is going to reveal to the people who it is that's supposed to be king. Saul has been anointed. Saul has been called now. He's he's got just a, he's got some simple tasks to perform. And uh, these these tasks are going to be something that, you know, just don't worry about donkeys. Just prophesy a little bit. Just walk in the way. Continue in righteousness. That's just, just some simple little things, right? Samuel starts to, Uh, starts to talk to the people, verses 17 through 19, okay? He says, now, there's going to be a king over us because that's what y'all want. Verse 20, and when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was taken. This means that they're casting lots. They're they're rolling the dice, if you will, you know, drawing straws, if you will. Verse 21, when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of my, my tribe was taken, And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken. And when they sought him, he could not be found. It's your moment. It's your time. God's given you a new new lease on life. Haven't you left the plow and the oxen? Haven't you dropped your water pot? Considering all that God has done, Considering how greatly God wants to use you to deliver the people of God out of the hands of the Philistines. Verse 22, he, could, he couldn't be found. Therefore, they inquired of the Lord further if the man should yet come there. And the Lord answered, behold, he hath hid himself among the stuff. Hmm. Whenever it is time for Saul to be used, they can't find him. When it's time for Saul to step up, he can't be found. 
And so when they inquire of the Lord, Lord, where is Saul? The Lord says he's hiding among the stuff. Now, of course, we're going to look up stuff in Hebrew. Stuff is the Hebrew word kelai. Kelai. And kelai, you ready for this? Kelai means donkey or horse tackle. It, it means saddle blankets that goes on donkeys. And so when this says he's hiding among the stuff, what the Lord is essentially saying is he's hanging out with the donkeys. Where's Saul when I want to use him? Still chasing donkeys. Where's Saul whenever, whenever I want to when I want to anoint him, whenever I want to use him in a powerful way, where is he? He's among the tackle. He's among the saddle blankets. He's among the carriages. He's among, he's among the, the plow. Where's Saul when I want to use him? He's still got his nets. He's still got his water pots. He's still, he's still holding that beggar's garment. Now, Saul's kingship starts to play out. And Saul, uh, Saul cannot seem to obey God in these very small things. In chapter 13, <clears throat> I'm not going to read this, I just want to mention it. In chapter 13, <clears throat> Samuel tells Saul, I want you to wait for me. The Philistines have gathered. And Samuel says, I want you to wait for me because I want to I give the Lord a sacrifice before you go out to battle. Wait on me to show up. And the Bible says, that Saul waited for seven days in verse 8. He tarried seven days. He waited for Samuel, but Samuel didn't show up. So what does Saul do? Saul does his own thing. He's, he's you know, Saul does whatever he wants to do. Because it's always been about Saul's desire. Where God wants, where God desires deliverance, Saul desires donkeys. He's hiding among the stuff. He's surrounded himself in his previous pursuits to the point that whenever God does try to use him, he can't. Saul has so wrapped himself up in his fleshly and carnal desires, his fleshly mission statement. And by the way, I also want to put this in here. I think this goes without saying for sin, but I want you to notice that what Saul is dealing with is not a sin. It's not a sin to go looking for donkeys. So it, it, is, it is not always things that are just blatant, outright abominations unto God that are keeping people from being used. But whenever we look at Saul's life and his ministry, what we find is a tragedy only because he could not surrender his previous life. And the reason why I'm teaching this is because there are so many people that are trying to blend their future with their past. There's so many people that they want to be counted good and faithful, but they refuse to let go of things that they have carried with them into the church. I'm saying that, that there are so many, you want to go to heaven, but you want to keep doing everything that you did before you met Jesus. It's not going to work. 
Repentance is not an emotional time at the altar. Repentance is when you change your behavior on Monday. Repentance is whenever you turn away from your sin. It's not when you cry whenever the preacher preaches. Repentance is not whenever you get emotional and snot into a Kleenex because the preacher finally made you feel guilty enough. That's not repentance. Repentance is whenever you change your habits. Repentance is whenever you forsake the things that you were chasing after before you met the Lord. Saul had an anointing, but he had no concept of repentance. And we got folks that are trying to walk with God and walk with the donkeys. We got folks that they're trying, they want to make it to heaven, but they will not let go of what they have done for all these years. This has just become your identity now. This has just become who you are. And so that is, the, that is the strategy that the devil uses to try to rob you of your repentance. They say, the church is trying to change who you are. The church is trying, they're trying to brainwash you. The church, folks, deliverance, deliverance requires you to be delivered of something. You, can't be, you cannot be delivered if you're not delivered. You get what I'm saying? You cannot have a new life and blend it with your old life. You cannot put a a new piece of garment onto an old cloth. You've got to have all new. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. We we use that scripture when it is convenient for us for encouragement, but we don't seem to use that scripture whenever we talk about the concept of repentance. Look at yourself and ask yourself, wait a second, if I say that I'm delivered, if I say that I have, have, you know, uh, had my moment whenever I, if I say that I have the Holy Ghost and and I'm I'm ready, you know, to, I'm, I'm walking in the kingdom, ask yourself then in the concept of repentance, wait a second, let me take an inventory. Have old things really passed away? I keep saying I'm new, but you can't be new and old at the same time. 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is interesting because like I said, at the initial anointing moment of Saul, the Lord says, I've chosen this guy to deliver my people from the hands of the Philistines. And we know, like I said, there's this iconic moment in 1 Samuel 17 where uh, it's the defeat of Goliath. And everybody would agree that is the pinnacle moment where the Israelites are delivered from the threat of the Philistines. And so, as I said, if God said that Saul would be the one that delivers them, why is it not Saul that's out there with the sling? Why is it not Saul that is going out to face Goliath? Let's look at why David is the one that's able to be used. Okay? So, uh, they're, they're all gathering together. 1 Samuel 17 and verse 4, There went out a champion of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs. He had a big staff. Verse 8, And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. He starts calling out this challenge, right? And I, I, I don't know why, but the story doesn't go immediately to Saul. And, you know, 
I, I would think that the story should say, and Saul, you know, he, 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 he poked his chest out. You know, I would think that the story would say, Saul tells everybody, everybody, don't worry. God's anointed me for this moment. That's what I would think. This, I would think the story would say, and Saul grabbed his sword and Saul, you know, beat his chest and say, he's not going to defy the armies of the living God before me. And Saul, I would think that Saul would say, I remember what Samuel told me I would become. This is the moment I've been waiting on. This is the moment that I finally am used the way that God wants me to be used. But the, the story does not jump to Saul. It jumps to David. And we might say, well, why David? Jump to verse 17, okay? Look at at verse 17. Uh, And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for your brethren an ephah of parched corn, these ten loaves, and run to the camp of your brethren. Carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand. uh, make Make grilled cheese sandwiches for everybody. The captain of their thousand, look how your brethren fare, take their pledge. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning, left the sheep of the keeper, and took, he left, wait, whoa, what? He left, he left his sheep? David left his sheep. Okay, hold on. All right, well, if you say so. Okay, with the keeper, and he took and went. As Jesse had commanded him, he gave him uh, came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight, and he shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. They're all lined up. They're all ready. They're in formation. Verse 22 is why David is the one that is used and Saul is not. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage. And he ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And we know how the story goes from there. I have a separate lesson I want to teach on David and Goliath. But I want to focus in verse 22, just the last few things. And David left his carriage. Now, this blew me away whenever my eyes were open to this. I looked at verse 22 in Hebrew, and it says, And David left his carriage. Guess what the Hebrew word for carriage is? Kelai. You know what that stuff, saddle blankets, donkeys. He left his Kelai. He left his carnal pursuit. He left his physical mission statement. <clears throat> he left his water pot. He left his oxen. He left his fishing nets. He left He left his beggar's garment. He left behind the stuff that he had taken with him all of this time. What I'm saying to you folks is that Saul could not be used and David could. And the reason why is because David knew how to leave things behind that Saul could not. David knew how to drop his previous mission. David knew how to let the donkeys tend to themselves, how to let the sheep tend to themselves. And it says, and he left it in the hands of the keeper of the carriage. The keeper of the... Oh boy. David realized there's somebody that can take care of what I've been worried about. 
the keeper. Man. You see, it's not always because of an evil desire that we continue doing the things that we've done beforehand. It's not that it's not that people decide I want to fail God. That doesn't happen. Many times it's because we pull things along with us on this journey. We should have left them behind, but we've not been convinced that if we let go of those things that they'll be all right. We keep them for the sake of security. We keep those things because we don't know whether they're going to make it or not. We pull these things with us because we don't know if we can make it without it. There's going to have to be a time whenever you meet the keeper of the carriage. There's going to have to come a time whenever you meet the one that can keep what you have been dragging along with you all of this time. There's going to have to come a point in your life and in your ministry and in your walk with God where you finally say, you know, I have been emotional, but I've never really repented. There's got to come a reality check where the church realizes, I have, I have had experiences with God. I've prophesied with the prophets. God's given me a new heart. He's called me. The Lord has, I felt that pull. I felt it. And yet, I find myself having never really repented. Because when I look down, I'm still chasing donkeys. I'm still doing the same stuff that I did before I came to God. Folks, God is not going to wrestle the donkeys away from you. He's not going going to force the water pot out of your hand. Jesus didn't knock it out of her hand. He didn't force Elisha to offer those oxen as a sacrifice. Jesus didn't have a tug of war with those fishermen and say, give me that net. He didn't do that. Every time it is by their own will that they decide what I am now following after is greater than what I've been carrying. I'm going to leave it in the hands of the keeper of the keli. I'm going to leave it in the hands of the keeper of the carriage, the keeper of the saddle blankets, the keeper of my fleshly pursuits. Know that Jesus said this, Seek ye first the kingdom. And all of those fleshly pursuits, all of the things that you've been worried about, all of the things that have been concerning you, I can handle them. They'll be added unto you. The Lord says to his people, he says, Consider the lily. He says, there's nobody in the world that is better clothed than the lily. And yet, when it wakes up in the morning, it doesn't have to spend its time worried about what it's going to do because it's obeying my voice. It's listening to me. Know that even a sparrow, it's not forgotten before me. And he said, aren't you worth many sparrows? What I'm saying, folks, is that that our past for many of us, is a security blanket. But it is robbing you of being used by God whenever you're not able to leave it in the past. Old things pass away. 
and now I can become new. And so today, as we close, I want to challenge you to truly repent. Not to get overly emotional. It's okay if you cry when you repent, but I'm saying that's the tears aren't the repentance. A re- real repentance is a made-up mind. Real repentance is whenever you leave the donkeys, you leave that stuff behind you. You leave the carriage in the hands of the carriage keeper. And so right now, I want you to enter into prayer and I want you to consider what has been the pursuit of your flesh that you have tried to pull into the pursuit of your spirit. It's time to drop it. And let's be used of God. I love all of you. Please take some time with the Lord right now. Please take some time with God. And and take inventory and ask yourself, am I still doing the same stuff now that I did before I met the Lord? Because if that's true, you've never repented. I pray that this challenges you. I pray that this blesses you. And I pray that you change. I pray that I change. And let us all leave our keli, our baggage, our stuff in the hands of the keeper of the carriage. I love you all. I pray that you have a blessed day today.